this question, what energized the New Testament church? What was the fuel behind the New Testament church? We know that the New Testament church, and I'm specifically specifically talking about the early church, the book of Acts church, uh, from Pentecost on, turned the world upside down. They had a massive effect on their culture. And uh, we just passed Easter, and uh, we rejoice in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's a high day. It is the high day outside of the coming of Christ. The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is what makes Christianity possible. Uh, If it was not for the resurrected Christ, we would still be in our sins, and we would be, of all people, miserable. So we rejoice um, in a prime fashion in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's kind of, I don't know about in your life, but in my life, and it can be kind of like a post-camp experience. And by that mean, by that I was a youth pastor long enough to know that, and and a t- teenager long enough. Although I only went to camp once as a teenager, but after camp, Christian camp, you can be on a gospel high, if you will. I mean, you've been apart from your family, you've been apart from your normal situation in your neighborhood or in your school. You've been in deep meditation of God's word at camp. You've been maybe bombarded by gospel preaching. You've got a trained counselor that's directing directing you to the things of the Lord and uh it is a it is a spiritual feast and uh it is something that is just invigorating in your life and I think resurrection sunday can have the same impact on a believer um we are brought back to the default we're brought back to the reason for our rejoicing um and yet just as happens sometimes after a camp experience. Sometimes in our culture, we can look around and we can see, okay, we come back from the mountaintop experience and we come back into the nasty now and now. Uh, If we look around, we can get very discouraged with our culture. We can be very discouraged with the darkness and the oppression um, that we find ourselves in. And really, we could say we're probably in one of, maybe not the darkest time in, in Christian history, but one of them, I think what we're looking at globally is uh, rapidly disintegrating and rapidly, it seems to be, our adversary, the devil, is making incredible inroads into our, our culture. And so uh, um, in some reading I was doing this last week, um, I ran across something that was very disturbing to me, and that was a parallel in our culture in wording. And by that I mean, we, we understand what it means to pray <clears throat> for a great awakening. And we, we understand what happened in the revivals of history and the first great awakening and the second and even the third. And we can understand the incredible impact that had on our civilization. But what I read this last week was a, a mock of that term to the point of somebody calling what's happening in our culture, the great awokening, to where a woke culture, a politically um, corrupt and and societally corrupt culture is having an impact, a massive impact on our civilization. And they are actually stealing the words of the great awakening to call it the great awokening. 
And it was chronicled how they are infecting our schools, our workplaces, even our language, to where new words are having to be created to, to match this, and much of this even funded by our government. So this gentleman today said, and he used the words, it's our turn. And I asked him to amplify that, and basically he said, we can't be silent. We must fight back. We must be bold. We must be aggressive. And, um, and I was challenged by that um, because in a military context, the soldiers may see the battle looming, but they're not whining. They're not lamenting. They may be observing and be discerning, but actually they're there to fight. They're there for the assault on the enemy. And I want us to be encouraged today that it's our turn. I want us to be encouraged today that by what we're doing in prayer, and I'm going to add another element to that, what we're doing in prayer is spiritual aggression. And in the face of a very strong army opposing righteousness, it's our turn. It's our challenge. It's our call to fight back and, uh, and not let the enemy overrun us and not get sidetracked. I think it's very easy to get sidetracked by the fierceness of the roar of the lion, um, even the roaring lion who seeks to devour. So um, I think you'll understand why I'm going to mention this next story because it was, it's easy to get sidetracked in the, fierce, in the face of circumstances. So a few years ago, as my wife and I were and family were in Colorado, we pastored a church or were in pastoral ministry in a church, youth pastor and then lead pastor for 27 years in, in the Denver area. Um, there was a fellow pastor, very gifted pastor, very godly pastor. He was a church planter of a church in the area, became very good friend. And um, he's a very aggressive man, a very talented musically, communication I mean, he was a great communicator of the scriptures, uh, raised a godly family. Um, children are still today in, in the ministry. And um, um, had a Christian school, had uh, community outreach. And so on Easter Sunday, uh, his wife passed away two years uh, before this occurrence. Uh, his two years, his, his wife passed away of cancer. And... Um, on Easter Sunday, he was in the pulpit pastoring the church, and uh, his grandson was there, and he told his grandson, this next week, I look forward to teaching you how to fish. We're going to go fishing, and Grandpa's going to teach you how to fish. Well, on Monday morning, Easter Monday morning, same as today, he got up, went out and checked the mail, came back in, put the mail on the counter, cleaned the kitchen, um, took his Bible out to his car, started the car with the garage door closed on purpose, laid back down in the back seat, put his Bible, uh, put, uh, put his hands together on his chest with his Bible close, and took his own life. And um, the deacons of the church called me that afternoon and said, what do we do? And as we investigated, we really don't know all that happened, but at some point in the battle, 
he took his eyes off Christ and got very discouraged with some circumstances around him and um, got sidetracked and to the point of his own demise. Now, I say that um, not as theatrics, but I just want to say it's very possible, even after a day of victory, to be discouraged. It's very easy, even in a prayer meeting, to say, is it worth it? And to let our circumstances overwhelm us. And ladies and gentlemen, I would just encourage us, it's worth the battle to not take our eyes off the Lord and to even take as a model of the early church what they did in times of oppression and what they did in times of discouragement. Um, uh, I'm mindful of many parallels in the scripture, primarily pre- Peter. I mean, look at, well, look at what happened to Peter. Peter denied the Lord. Circumstances caused him to take, to take his eyes off the Lord to the point of denial, three times denial. But then our Lord, after the resurrection, our Lord restored Peter to ministry. And then the Holy Spirit came, and Peter was a different person. He preached at Pentecost, and he was a different person, and 3,000 people trusted Christ as Savior. And I look back at post or pre-resurrection Peter and post-resurrection Peter, and I say, what made the difference? And I'm going to say roughly, yes, the resurrection, but also then the Holy Spirit. And the things that we can enjoy that keep our mind focused on Christ, even in times of difficulty, are, are rejoicing in who Jesus Christ is in the resurrection and also the Holy Spirit. And I just want to encourage us to keep our, our mind and our eyes on the Lord Jesus. Um, the early church um, used prayer to do that. Uh, even in Acts chapter 4, when, uh, the, when Peter and John were released uh, from, from captivity, from being detained, the first thing they did was gather everybody together and prayed. And praised, because the very first part of their prayer had to do with praising God for who he is. I'm mindful uh, Stephen often references uh, the upper room environment. And when right before the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, he asked his disciples, or at least they, they closed their time together in song. Um, what they knew was the Old Testament. Could it be that they were praising God in song? When Paul and Silas were in prison, they prayed and sang. We could say they prayed and praised. Praised. So when we get to Acts chapter 6, um, then we find the commitment of those early apostles. We are going to give ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. And the ministry of the word became really the theological basis of their praising. So in our prayer time today, I just want to encourage us to praise the Lord. I want to encourage us to continue the resurrection environment, the resurrection excitement, the resurrection circumstances, and let's challenge each other to not get our eyes off the Lord. Another thought that uh, was, I really haven't uh, pursued a whole lot this morning, but as I was on the phone with, or on, yeah, on the phone with Stephen this morning, I was thinking, 
about our prayer time and thought, if oppression comes, let's just say they close off the internet. Let's just say this is the last time we see each other. Do you know what's going to be in our minds as we go through difficult days this prayer time? We're going to be mindful of our brothers and sisters that we know are also in oppression, and the, maybe the prayers that we've heard are going to come back to mind, and the, the praise, the, the, the scriptural praise that we've heard from one another are going to come back to mind, and this is going to be fuel for advancement. So if I could even just encourage us, let's bring as many people into this prayer time as we can as fuel for advancement of the kingdom of heaven. This is kind of like the down payment on what's coming. And um, so with that, I was, uh, last night before I went to bed, I was thinking through a few texts of scriptures, and and then we'll close. And I think I've gone over the 10 minutes. Sorry about that. Um, I got preacheritis here this morning. Um, Think of Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3 that says, "Who, Who being the brightness of his glory. I love that. Just the beauty of who Jesus Christ is, the radiance of who Jesus Christ is, because that lodge within our hearts and even even be demonstrated in our praying this morning, who being in the brightness of his glory in the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power when he had himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. John chapter 1 and verse 14, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. Luke chapter 27 and verse uh, chapter 27 and verse 20, I'm sorry, Luke 21 verse 27. And then they see they shall see the son of man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. I'm going to recommend that that which energized the early church to advance was internal worship. Prayer and praise. Prayer and adoration. So even as we pray today, could we just adore the Lord? Let's not let ourselves be distracted. And uh, let's advance his kingdom through prayer and praise.